Well, happy Mother's Day weekend. Can we have all of our moms that are here in the room stand and just honor them for a moment? Go ahead, moms. Stand up. Awesome. We love you. All right, you may be seated. Well, it's always an honor to be able to uh, share God's word and bring some encouragement to our moms on Mother's Day weekend. And um, one of the things that I know about being a mom, how many can attest, and that is it's always, always changing, right? It's never the same. There's no day that's the same. I think one of the things that makes it interesting is that the seasons that our kids are in always are changing, and so we're always having to change to accommodate them. How many knew they were pregnant because their body started changing, right? There's just lots and lots of change. And as your body starts to change and your season of life starts to change, stepping into motherhood, so do your needs, your priorities. So just change is, a, is just a constant in mothering. I've been reminded of that the last couple of weeks because my daughter, Claire, Fred mentioned last week, but she broke her ankle. And in that moment, she became a toddler in her ability to care for herself, not of any wrongdoing of her own. But like by the second day, I was so flipping exhausted. I was like, oh my gosh, such a flashback of what it was like to have littles that just need you for everything, right? Straighten this, and can you get me this? And I can't do anything for myself. So all of you moms who have kids that are on that season of life, Bless you. I had three kids in four years, and so I've tried to block it out with the therapist and help from drugs. But um, no, I'm just kidding. But, but I'm just reminded of how much what happens to our kids, like a broken ankle or something happens, it changes, right? It affects us. Um, one of the things, though, that never changes, uh, will never change across cultures, across time for all mothers, is our children's need for us to nurture them. And this word nurture is one of my favorite words when I think about motherhood because I think it, uh, it, it embodies the fullness of what it is to be a mom. The definition of nurture is to care for and encourage the growth and development of. And I love that definition, to care for and encourage the growth and development of, because it embodies the reality of change. You're not just caring for something, because how many know if we're caring for something, that's a babysitter, right? But a mom cares for and encourages the development and growth of, which means the thing that you're caring for is also changing. So then as that thing that you're caring for and it's developing and growing and changing, so does the caregiver's heart, attitudes, right, techniques, all of that. So there's change as a caregiver. So there's this idea of nurturing is that not only is the child you're caring changing, but so is yourself. And so is that, that, that need for change. So in our role as a mom, in the role of a mom over a lifetime, I believe nurturing is such a key. And if, so I want to get you thinking about this idea of nurture. I want to give you some synonyms for this. And let's kind of roll up our sleeves and unpack this idea, this, this, the truth of it, the bigness of this word nurture. Hi, Ryan. Um, so cute. And if you're not a mom, I want you to think about the people in whose lives you have influence and impact. Because that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about nurturing. Some of the synonyms, these are awesome words when we think about mothering. The word tend. When I think of tend, I think of a gardener, right? Tending a garden. You know, a gardener who's on their knees and they're getting rid of the weeds that are going to compete for resources around that plant, right? They're making room and making sure that that plant has what it needs to grow, to be successful. The sun, the water, the fertilizer. We tend our kids' lives. I love the word support. 
We give them the tools to be successful. Think about a young mom. I know my kids were young. You gotta, you're going to give them what they need to be successful, which means when they're young and the car on the way to church was like a coaching session or on the way to any public space where you didn't want to shame the name of the family. Yes, a coaching session, right? So we're going to go to church today, and when adults greet you, you know, I just remember always, when adults greet you, you're going to look them in the eye and you're going to say hello. And if you don't say hello loud enough for them, you know, to hear you, it doesn't count, and you're going to be punished when we get home, right? So those are the key. You know, we're setting them up for success. This is the expectation. This is the standard. This is what we want from you. And then role playing in times of non-conflict so that they can be successful. Supporting our kids. Encouraging them. Like not to, you know, hit or to share or not to bite other human beings. Did anybody have a biter? Any biters in the room? Yes, we know. It's serious. Don't bite other people. Just meat and food. Promote Promote is another word that is a synonym with nurture. Um, we promote the things that we want them to embrace and make part of their own self. I think of, when I think of the word promote, I think of like promoting a love for siblings, promoting a love of family, right? Promoting an environment that you want them to make part of their own values that you want them to embrace. Stimulate, to get them excited about the things that you want them to be excited about. Like, not urinating on themselves. That's exciting, right? We all come into the world in this crazy life of urinating on ourselves at will, and I think it's one of the most hellish tasks a mother faces, actually, is teaching her child that this is not socially acceptable, and stimulating an interest in them stopping, right? Because what the sad reality is, and every mother here can say amen, is that there's no real finish line in potty training, is there? Like, there's a finish line in labor, there's no real finish line in potty training. At some point, when they're eight or nine, hopefully it occurs to you they're potty trained. <laughs> and by that time, you're deep into another season of life, and no cruise or award ceremony or anything, but I'm just still a little bit bitter about that. Um, how about the word develop, or help, or strengthen, or foster, or cultivate? How about fuel? That's the last one. I like that one. I think about, when I think about fuel as it relates to mothering, how about uh, a car, right? It's got all this engineering and design and capabilities, but without fuel, it can't do any of that. And with our children, right, God's designed them and given them passions and dreams and capabilities, but we have to fuel that so that they can then do those things. And in my house right now with three teenagers, fuel is like cash and food. Amen? Cash and food. Okay, so this idea of nurturing, it's broad, it's big, and so I want to invite us to participate and, and, and answer the question. I need some, some participation here, moms. What are some of the things that you do to nurture your child, to nurture your family? And we have bags of my favorite dark chocolate candy bars in the aisles, so when you raise your hand, I will call on you, and we will talk about nurture. Okay, Amy. What do you do? Yes, dicing for toddlers so they don't choke and gag and die. Good. Next. The lights are bright. I'm going to step down. Carla. Laundry. Endless laundry. Jen. Yes, letting them fail. Letting them make a mistake. That's a big one. Hannah. Read to them. Yes, promote a love of learning. Open up their world. Expose them to new things. Okay, Celeste. What? Kiss their boo-boos. That video was such a tearjerker. Okay, Anna. Discipline them, right? 
Don't ever tell your kids, I'm going to spank you because I love you. Because that, my parents said that to me. That was just wrong. But, um, but that's why we discipline them, because we love them, right? We have to teach them boundaries. We have to teach them what no means and, and, and how to follow through. Because we have to teach them to obey. Because who are we ultimately teaching them to obey? Christ, their Heavenly Father. So absolutely. Robin. Homework. Homework. Necessary evil. Yes. All right. Jessica. Snuggle sessions. Another thing we do to nurture Claudia. Ah, what things are necessary and responsibilities and what things are privileges that are earned and you are not entitled to them. Yes? My children are entitled to air and water and sometimes food, right? You let them know that and everything else we can take away. Scotty. How to clean the toilet and do their laundry. Yes. Teaching little boys to pee, I say invest in Lysol and make that part of the program. My mom thought I wounded Derek because he was such a neat freak because I so didn't want pee on the toilet. Sorry, Derek, I didn't ask for permission to tell you this. But when he was little, it was, you know, you have to wash your hands and then you also have to Lysol the toilet and wipe it down. And my mom's like, every time, I was like, every time. I will not live with drips in this house. So, so he would go to other people's places, but they don't have Lysol wipes. Oh my God, I'm so grossed out. <laughs> yes, my boy, all right. His wife's going to love me. All right, a couple more. Something you do to nurture your child or your family. Sharon, pray, pray. Way to go. All right, do you have four chocolate bars? A couple more over here. April, teach him how to drive. Very good. That, you will get gray hair from that. You will, you, will, you will have an encounter with Jesus Christ as you teach your kids to drive. I've taught one and have two more, and I'm dreading the last two. Um, Kim. Somebody else over here? Help me out. One more. What do we do to nurture? Okay, Chrissy, she'll get to you. Balance a checkbook. Yes, very good. Okay, so we could keep going for hours if we're honest. Thank you, guys. Great job, chocolate bar runners. You don't have to clap. It is my favorite chocolate bar, so enjoy. I won't tell anyone if you secretly open it in church. But um, anyways, we could probably spend a lot of time listing the things that we do to nurture our children. And as I was praying about what I could share to encourage our moms here today, I really felt like God wanted me to encourage us in being a champion of the next generation. And in my conversation with God, I was just like, what does that really mean? Because that's in my heart, to be a champion of the next generation. Not somebody who endures parenting, endures the next generation, but someone who positions my life to champion them. And so I just did a heart dump in my time with the Lord, a brain dump, a heart dump, as you will. And these are some of the things, and you should have your own list. What does it mean to be a champion of the next generation? These are the things that I think of personally, that I want to be for my children and for their friends and for the people that are following behind me. Someone who is excited about and cheering on young people, right? A cheerleader of sorts. Without the outfit, I would add, because that is not good. Someone who gives young people the benefit of the doubt and come alongside them to see them succeed. Someone who's not critical or second-guessing young people. Think about the way you interact with young people. Think about the way people did with you when you were young. Not second-guessing you, not critical, not quick to judge, but someone who is is, is giving them the benefit of the doubt and coming alongside of them to see them succeed, asking questions, listening. Someone who stays youthful in their outlook. They're future-minded. 
They've positioned their life in a true belief that the best days are yet to come. They don't always talk about the good old days because I believe in God's word, the best days are yet to come. There's always more and there's always better. That's one of the adventures of following Jesus. Someone who chooses joy amidst the very real hardships of life. How many know life is hard? Like, it's not what you say to your son when he's graduating next weekend, but life is hard. <laughs> that's, that's the reality. A champion of the next generation, in my opinion, is somebody who says, even in the midst of that, I know it's going to be, but I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose hope. I'm going to choose to believe God and take him at his word. I'm not going to wait to know the outcome before I choose the right thing. Someone who chooses to forgive rather than hold a grudge. Someone whose heart remains tender. That's a choice. That doesn't happen naturally, right? We've all met the judgmental, yucky, bitter old lady, right, who has lots of opinions because she's lived a, a, a life maybe and she's chosen not to forgive and she chose, she's cynical and critical and she has a lot to say, that's the kind of person that, that, that hasn't guarded their heart, who hasn't chosen to forgive and intend a heart that stays tender. Someone who chooses to serve rather than say, I've already done my time. I've seen that a lot growing up. People who've raised their kids and they kind of step back into the shadows. Say, I've done my time, now it's everyone else's turn. Someone who is willing to take a risk and try new things for the sake of being relevant and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the next generation. So that's kind of my definition of what it means to be a champion. So how do I do this? How do we do this as moms? To be a champion of the next generation... We need to nurture not just our children, but ourselves. We need to care for and encourage the growth and development of our own lives. Because if we don't, in the busyness of life, in the demands of mothering, in the pace of the reality of how life unfolds, we will find we will come out of these mothering years, I believe, not positioned as a champion, but having some of these things that we don't want having taken hold in our heart. And so for us to be a champion of the next generation, I believe we have to nurture our lives. And there's two ways that I want to unpack that in our time together tonight. That is to nurture our hearts and to nurture our voice. And so I want to invite Kim Tree Slaughter to join me to come on up here. She's going to share out of her own story. We're excited to have her. Kim Therese is, is, is here at City Life. She is a friend. She is a woman of God. She also can share about, she's good. I've asked her to share out of her own story, but she's also not just walked a story and had God work in her life, but she also is a professional counselor. She's recently opened up a counseling service, Hummingbird Counseling Services for Women, specializing in ch uh, women with childhood trauma. So she has something to say. So give it up for my friend Kim Therese one more time. Well, hello, everyone. This is nice from up here. Oh, wow. Okay, so thank you so much yeah. for allowing me to come and share today. So I want to talk about nurturing um, a mother's heart. So I have a confession to make City Life. So some of you know me, some of you don't. But after today, you're really going to know me, okay? So what, growing up, I was very angry, right? I can remember from five years old um, just being very angry. You know, I had this angry energy about me, 
right? So I would wake up angry. I would go to sleep angry. And I would look for something, something to do with this angry energy, right? So in school, I would start fights. I know y'all like, oh my gosh, yes. I would start fights. I would... I was a bad kid, y'all. I'm sorry. I, I was bad. I'm apologize for I'm apologize now. So, but I was I, I was angry because I grew up in an angry environment. All right. And how many of you know that when you grow up in an angry environment or any type of environment that is unhealthy, it's what you will take on as an adult and as you grow. Right? So my great grandmother, she was this mean, surly woman. Right? She, she blamed us for everything and fed us beans every day. Right? Tired of eating beans. So she had two daughters, which was my grandmother, um, and she showed favoritism. She showed favoritism with my grandmother and her sister. So my grandmother, she began to be mean and surly to my mom and her children, and they, she showed favoritism as well. She passed that down. And so my grandmother became an alcoholic, and uh, she was very abusive and neglectful neglectful to her children. And uh, so my mom is the fifth of seven children. My mom had me at a very young age, okay? She was very young, and my dad was a heroin addict. My mom became a crack cocaine addict. And so my whole family, we all lived, like, in the same house. It was like 20 of us in a two-bedroom apartment. Okay, we was like, I would go to bed early because I was like, I need to get in the bed tonight because I got back problems. So I would try to get to the bed early so that, you know, because it was like, if you didn't get to the bed, then you was just, you were stuck. I mean, you sitting up, you in the tub, you on a fire escape, you whatever. So, so the environment that I grew up with, my mom and my aunts, they were all very angry. You know, they were in foster care and they were abused. And so they did the same thing to us. So our environment became angry. Our environment became abusive, um, physically abusive, a lot of physical, sexual abuse, um, and a lot, a lot, a lot of verbal annihilation is what I call it. Verbal annihilation is where they just took your whole identity, if you had some, they just took your whole identity with the negative words that they spoke to you. So as a kid, as a young kid, I decided that I was not going to have children because I, I saw the generational curses come down from my great-grandma to my grandma to my mom. And I thought it was like a disease or something that you just give. I didn't know that it was a choice. So I decided not to have kids. But how many of you know that God will give you what you need despite what you want. God knew that I needed a family. He knew that I needed love to nurture my heart. So he gave me exactly what I needed to be exactly who he purposed me to be. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, 8 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Can y'all say that with me? Love never fails. One more time. I feel like I'm at a rap concert. <laughs> All right. So when I was 19, I met Sean, right? I met my little boo. You know, my boo. He was all on me. You know, like, girl, you cute. You know, he was all over me and stuff. I was like, 
like, I know. Dang. He wanted some, you know, she was like, hey, chocolate. I was like, hey. hey. <laughs> so, but Sean was different, right? He was different from me because he had experienced something that I had not. He had experienced love. Up until that age, no one had ever told me that they loved me, like really meant it. Like they loved me, but they wanted something from me, right? So he was like the first person that said it, like, and I knew his love was real because he cleaned my room. Like our third date, he cleaned my room. And how many of y'all know when, you're, when you have some type of issue going on inside of you, like anger, your environment looks like, it can look like that issue. So my environment looked angry. So he came in there with brooms and pine sole and he started folding up stuff. I was like, yes, he is the one. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> so, so um, at that time in my life, I really, I really wasn't sure that I was worthy of love, right? Because, see, Sean grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church. We weren't even allowed to go to church. We mentioned church in that house, and it was like, right? So we weren't even allowed to go to church. So, you know, even though he wasn't saved at the time, that's another story. But he, um, he showed me, you know, the, this, this feeling. Like, he made me experience something that I had never experienced before. And I, didn't, I couldn't identify it as love because I didn't know what love was. And so I felt unworthy at the time. So when I was, we got married and I was 26 and I had Lyric. And I remember one day I was in the, the um, hospital room and we were laying on the bed. And I was afraid to touch her. Because I was like, if I touch her, she's going to automatically become angry. I don't want to touch her. And I remember touching her, and she was like, wah! I was like, oh, Lord, I didn't pass it down. I didn't pass it down, Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, um, but I knew at that time that I had to do something different than what I was doing, because what I was doing was not working. Right? I couldn't pass down this anger to my child. And I started to wonder if it really was a choice, if I really could change the pattern of my family, if there was something I could do to pass goodness and love and joy and peace down to my children. Um, Psalms 139.14 told me that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. So I started looking through the Bible to find out, find myself, right? Because of the verbal annihilation, I didn't know who I was. So I started really looking through the Bible to find myself. And Ephesians 2.10 told me um, that I was God's workmanship. You couldn't tell me nothing when I read that. I was like, oh, I got to look more into this. So I, I looked into the word workmanship, and the Greek word for workmanship is poema, which means poem. So I started walking like, yeah, I'm God's poetry in motion. You can't tell me nothing. I'm a piece of artwork. Ooh, you can't tell me nothing there because I, I started to know who I was. And I was like, if that's who I am, then I can pass that down to my daughters. Psalms 139.15 told me that I was intricately woven, intricately woven together. Right, that I was complicated, that I was detailed, that there was a time where God was creating me in his secret place all by myself. I don't know where y'all was at, but in that moment, it was just me and God. It was just me and God. And he was hooking me up, right? He, he knew what I needed. He knew what I was going to go through. And he gave me everything. He gave me boldness. He gave me courage. He gave me resilience because he knew I was going to go through some stuff. And he was like, she's going to have to be strong because I'm going to need her to come on the other side, <laughs> right? 
And so um, Isaiah 43, 18, this is where I had to really get to in my life, right? Isaiah 43 and 18 told me, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past because that's what I did. I have a right to be angry because look what they did to me. I have a right to be angry because look what they said to me. I have a right to be angry. And I, could, I would constantly make excuses as to why I was angry and why I had a right to be angry. But what I didn't realize is that there's a difference between being angry and feeling angry. Feeling angry is if someone does something to me and I'm angry and we could talk about it and we could get past it. Being angry is it's a part of who I am. I'm always angry no matter what. You say something to me, I'm angry. You don't say something to me, I'm still angry. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. So I had to stop making excuses for my anger. I had to stop using my past as a residence and started using it um, as a, a reference, using it as a reference for what God has brought me out of and stop saying, oh, my past, my past, my past, my past. And God is like, look back and look where you are now. That's just your reference. You don't reside there anymore. If you do, it's a choice. You choose to reside there. I had to realize that Jesus did not die for my past. He died for my purpose. He knew exactly what he put in me, and he died because he knew I had the potential to do great things in life. He died for my potential, my purpose, and my possibilities. He knew exactly where I was going. He was just waiting for me to catch up. He was just waiting for me to realize that I had something greater in me. And as soon as I realized that, I was able to do my work. I was able to nurture my heart. I was able to look at myself and say, now what do I need to do to grow to become a better, stronger, more powerful person that God created me to be? I realized that my greatest misery and my deepest pain would produce my greatest ministry. Everything that I do now, when I use my past as a reference, I'm connecting with those who have gone through or who are currently in that situation. And I'm giving them hope. And I'm like, you can come out of it. I came out of it. You can definitely come out of it. Sometimes when people are in the midst of their pain, it's very hard for them to see a way out. It's very hard for them to see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. But when you have someone, like Pastor Venice said, walking alongside you, it's which what I do with my clients. You know, they come in at some of the most devastating spaces in their life. And I'm saying to them, girl, I know. Come on. Let's go. We could do this. And they're like, okay. Yeah, we can do this. We can do this. We need people to help us. And we need to make up our minds as that's something we're going to do no matter how hard it gets. But we can do it. So nurturing my heart created a space for me to become the mother I didn't have. So we can make excuses about what we didn't have. Right? Oh, I didn't have that. So how can I give that to my children? You make a choice. You pick up a book. You read a YouTube video. You know, you listen to a YouTube video. You surround yourselves around other mothers who are doing what they're supposed to do and allow them to teach you. Don't be so prideful that you can't learn something from somebody else. I don't need you to tell me how to be a good mother. Sometimes we do need somebody to tell us how to be a good mother because kids don't come with instructions. At least mine didn't. I don't know about y'all's. They ain't coming in with no instructions. She and say step one. No, they don't come with instructions. So why not look to the elders? Why not look to the elders and say, hey, 
I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? I don't, I don't know how to love my children. It's okay to say you don't know how to love your children. But don't sit in that mess and don't beat yourself up because you don't know how to do it. Go find out how to do it. Matthew 15, 18 says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth comes from the heart, and these defile a person. The process of nurturing your heart will produce revelation. It will reduce, produce revelation about who you are, about who the people around you are, about the next steps you need to take in life, whether it is, because uh, everything is not going to be about your kids when you're nurturing your heart. It's going to be about you. And when you nurture your heart, your kids are going to benefit. Everyone around you is going to benefit. If I had not nurtured my heart and did my healing work, I would have passed down the abundance of issues to my daughters. I want to tell y'all something that I have learned. If you don't deal with your mess, if you don't deal with your junk, it will deal with you. And I have learned that personally. It will deal with you. You will have no control over it. It will overwhelm you and you will begin to leak. And when you leak, everyone around you will get wet with your mess, with your anger, with your pain. And it's not, I'm, not, I'm not only talking about big stuff. I'm not only talking about depression and anxiety. I'm not only talking about anger and abuse. I'm talking about little things like low self-esteem and low confidence. I'm talking about stress. I'm talking about the inability to cope with small things. I, you know, I'm talking about small things, too. I'm talking about frustration. I'm talking about pride. I'm talking about small things that you can pass down to your children that will become big things. If it doesn't stop with you, somebody has to say the buck stops here. Right? And it's a lonely place, don't get me wrong. It's a lonely place, right? So four generations of abuse, four generations of anger, four generations of anxiety and depression, right? Four generations, and then here come me. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop the cycle, right? Imagine the pressure. But it wasn't about me. What we do is not about us, even in our healing work. It's not about us. It's about other people. That's why we're here. We're here to find our gifts, um, cultivate our gifts, put them on a platter, and serve them to the world. That's what we're here for. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his trans transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I'm going to give y'all some steps, okay? I'm going to give you some steps, some practical tools on how to nurture your heart. Because sometimes we say, I know I got a little issue or I know I have a big issue, but I, you know, I don't know what to do. I, I, I need some steps. I need, some, I need somebody to walk me through. I got you. Don't worry about it. Y'all ain't gonna make no excuses tonight. <laughs> All right. Stop making excuses. That's the first one. <laughs> Stop making excuses about why you can't, why you can't, why you can't. Open your mouth. Say there's a problem, right? Because silence breeds shame. If you are silent about your stuff, you're going to sit in your stuff and you're going to make excuses for your stuff over and over and over and nothing is going to change. I don't care how much you pray. And this way, I have nothing to do with God. You can be like, oh, God ain't changing nothing. No, but what are you doing? It starts with us. It starts with us taking responsibility and not making excuses for ourselves because we can say, well, what about them? We have to get rid of the idea that our past is going to somehow matter magically change so that we can be okay. You can be okay despite what happened to you in your past. It's a choice. 
The second thing you have to do is invite God into your healing process. If you try to do it by yourself, it's going to be like me in January saying I'm going to lose weight. And then by Wednesday, you know, by the third month, it's like, oh, it's too hard, right? I ain't doing this, right? It's the same thing. When you try to nurture your heart on your own and deal with your stuff on your own, when it gets hard, you're going to run. When it gets hard, you're going to retreat. Right? You have to have God in your corner. You have to invite him into that space of healing. You have to find the right people to support you. you God uses people. You have to find the right people to support you in your healing, in your nurturing yard, because you have to have some type of accountability. Right? If you, you, you know, you in a line with your friend and she know you're working on your anger and somebody just cuts you in the line and you start tapping... And you start talking to yourself, like, I know she just didn't. I know she just, I know she, did you see she? Calm down, Kim Trees. you working, you know, you're working on yourself. Yeah, you're right. Okay, go ahead. She can, as long as she don't say nothing to me, she good. <laughs> she's straight. She's straight, because I ain't all the way there yet. I need you to tell her. I, I'm not going to say nothing to her, but I need you to tell her that I'm still working on this, okay? Can you please speak to her? All right? Find the right support system. And find the right people that's going to tell you the truth. Don't find somebody that's going, yes, you to death. Yeah, y'all, you was right, Kim Trees. Y'all, when you said that to her, y'all, when you pushed her out the line, because she, she did skip you. She did skip you. So, you know, you was right. And if it would have jumped off, I would have jumped right in. I would have jumped right in. No, you need somebody to say, no, you were wrong. You were wrong. You you're supposed to be working on yourself. You are supposed to, you, you know, how, how does that represent God? How does that, how did that behavior represent God? It didn't. You were wrong. You need somebody that's going to tell you the truth. You got to commit yourself to the process. Like I said, don't quit when it gets hard. Sometimes you got to seek professional help, depending on what the problem is. We all don't need professional help all the time, but, you know, it's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you need somebody to walk you through a process, then. Hey, I mean, I did, I did. I, I went to a therapist. I ain't got no problem saying it, you know, because sometimes you need somebody to walk you through the mess to help you understand. Because as human beings, we want to understand why. I need to know why they did that. I need to know why it happened. I need to know why it happened to me, right? And even though that answer is really not going to bring us any closure, you know, someone of, who is a professional could help you understand that and help you get over that hump. Because that's really all it really is. It's just a hump. Um, engage in self-passion, my people. Silence your inner critic, right? Because when you start doing your work, I know, I'm going to talk about me. I ain't going to talk about y'all. I'm going to talk about me. You know, when I started doing my work with my anger, you know, something would happen, and then that inner critic would be like, oh, girl, you going to turn into the Hulk or what? What you going to do? Hulk smash, Hulk smash, Hulk smash. And I'm like, no. We cannot smash. Jesus don't want us to smash. <laughs> Jesus do not want us to smash. You know, you have to have self-compassion. And if you mess up, you're going to need it because you're going to mess up. And, you, and, and what will happen is the devil will use that feeling of shame and embarrassment, you know, to try to bring you back 50 steps. What you need to do is say, yep, I messed up today. Confess it. Yes, I messed up today. That was, I'm so, you know, I'm ashamed that I messed up today. But I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep working. You know, what I'm not going to do is say, oh, well, mess up. Might as well go slap three people. 
That's wrong, y'all. That's wrong. That's wrong. Show self-compassion. Uh, and the last one is stay plugged into God, into fellowship. Don't stop going to church. Don't stop spending time with your friends, right? Put yourself out there. Make sure that you're out in the community, that you're, you're coming to church because the devil wants you to isolate. The devil annihilates us when we're isolated. He annihilates us. He has this strength uh, to really just put these little nuggets in our head when we isolate. And when you nurture your heart, and you can, I mean, these are some tools, and if you want to talk to me after, after ask me about some more, I, I have some more, but these are some of the basic tools that we need to use, and in using these tools for myself, I became such a strong person, right? And I was able to pass that down to my daughters, right? Some of the conversations I have with Jazz at night, I'd be like, is she really 11? You know, and it's, it's so wonderful just being able to lay in her bed with her, even though like half of my body is like off the bed because it's me, her, and the dog, right? But just laying in with her, listening to her talk and talk about her day and talk about her relationship with God and just seeing Lyric just grow here at City Life, you know, I know that I pass down love to them. I know that I pass down, mm -hmm. uh, you know, heart and resilience and courage to them. I didn't pass down the anger and I look at them and I say, they ain't got an angry bone in their body. <laughs> Woo! I did my work, right? We have to do our work. We have to do our work because our children's lives depend on it. And this is for mothers and this is for grandmothers and this is for people who one day want to become a mother. This is for fathers too, because y'all pass down stuff too. I'm just saying, I'm just gonna throw y'all in there real quick. Right? And it's not always what they, what they hear us say. It's what they see us do. What are we doing? Right? I tell my kids, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to therapy. I tell them that. Why? Because I need them to know that I love them that much that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. It's not about me. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to produce some healthy, productive citizens in this world. Whatever it takes, I have to, it was my choice to bring them in this world, so it's my choice to rear them well and to do everything that I can do to rear them well. So my question to you is, what's your stuff? What's your junk? Right? Don't be ashamed of your junk. Don't be, that's what the devil wants. He wants you to be ashamed. He wants you to be ashamed so that he can, he can be that inner critic. Oh, don't. No, because what we think is we telling somebody in our business. Don't tell them in your business. It's not your business because it's not about you. It's not about you, right? Remember, if we leak, everyone around us is going to get wet. It can be our children, our spouses, right? Our bosses. Oh, I, I leaked on my boss, boss a couple of times, right? It can, be our, it can be whoever's around. It can be our friends in church, our church family. Oh, what's wrong with her today? She won't act like that last week. She leaking this week. She leaking. She leaking. Yeah, she leaking. Good. We have to deal with our stuff before it deals with us, right? And what we don't have time to, to do is to just think that it's going to go away. It doesn't just go away. It waits. It festers. We're taking all this stuff and we're putting it in the basement, putting it in the basement, locking the basement door, putting a chair under the door. We come home one day and it's like, hey, girl, on our couch, our junk waiting for us. It's not going anywhere. 
It's not going anywhere unless you do your work and you come in and you escort it out. It's time for you to go. Right? I have kings and queens to build. I don't have time to be messing with this anger, this stress, this anxiety, this depression, this, this pride. I don't have time to be messing with this because I have kings and queens to build. So what's your stuff? Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, girl. Love you. So... Nurturing our heart is hard work. It takes intentionality. And why do we do it? Luke 6:45. It says, "For out of the mouth the heart speaks." Right? Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. I love this translation. What you say flows from what's in your heart. So just like what Kim Trees was just sharing, if you don't do the work, guess what, moms? When you're tired, when your day is stressed out, right? When you're sleep deprived, when things aren't going right, when things are disappointing, it will bubble and flow out of you. God's word tells us that. And so we have to do the work of nurturing our heart. For the sake of time, I just want to touch on nurturing our voice as the band comes to get in place. Proverbs 18.21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those will love it who will eat its fruit. If you want to do a study in God's word that is powerful and life-changing, study what God has to say about the tongue and the words that we speak. There's life and death. My modernization on that would be there's words that crush and words that create. And I just want to encourage our moms tonight about being people that speak words that create. There's a whole sermon for another day about not speaking words that crush. But one of the ways that I think that we have to steward our voice, nurture our voice in the hearts of our, in our, hearts of our children and how it impacts them is this reality that we can create with the words that we speak. I believe it's one of the areas or one of the ways the Bible says that we're made in God's image. I believe it's one of the ways that we are made in God's image. I cannot create, I cannot speak a Starbucks grande extra hot skinny latte. I would love that right now into existence. My go-to drink. But what I can do by the words that I speak is I can walk into the life of my child and I can speak things that create feelings that were not there before, that are real, that are tangible, that have impact, that can be touched and measured, right? I can speak words that create courage, determination, maybe regret in a healthy way, a sense of remorse, a love for right doing. I can speak words that create these things that were not there. And as moms, I believe that as we speak to our kids, the analogy I like to think about words is those plank bridges that they have, particularly in third world countries. I think of Marvin taking trips to Haiti. Fred went on one of those trips. They build these plank bridges, right, that hang in these great ravines. And they're just planks of wood attached. They've got some chains so people don't fall out of the side and die. And I think of parenting as, you know, you're speaking words that create and you're laying down a plank and you're attaching it. And then the, you know, the engineer, they walk up to the next one and they lay the next one. They're tethered in. They lay the next one. And I think as parents, we're constantly speaking as moms to our kids. We're laying these planks. But the mistake that we make is when we aren't speaking words that create, we're speaking words that crush. Often, I think without knowing it, we lay a plank, we take it up. We lay a plank, we take it up. We have a really bad day, we take up four planks. You hear what I'm saying? 
What happens, I think, sometimes is parents, we get to talk to parents a lot. All of a sudden, the years come where their kids get to choose the voices that they're going to listen to. And the parents look up and they realize that this bridge into the heart of their child, the life of their child, and as an influencer, there's a lot of planks that they haven't laid yet. Planks are missing because they've been crushing and not creating, right? They've been doing more of one and less of the other. So they've laid and relayed a lot of these planks. And so when I think about nurturing the voice of my voice so that I can have all the planks in the bridge so that when I speak to my children, it still has impact and influence. There's still something that they hear, that what I say matters. Proverbs 31, 26, it says, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. So moms, I would ask you today two questions. How are you nurturing your heart? Are you doing the hard work to nurture your heart? And then how are you nurturing your voice? Crushing versus creating. Because the truth is how we nurture our heart determines what we're gonna speak. What we speak determines the impact that we're gonna have in the next generation and whether or not we will be positioned to be a champion for them. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing I want more than for my kids, when they think of me, when they describe me, when they have that sense of who their mom is, I want to be that champion, right? That one that believes the best in them, that's not critical, that's chosen forgiveness, that's chosen joy, that's done the hard work of nurturing my heart so that what flows out of my mouth is setting a tone of life that they want to be around me, that they want to they want to spend time with me. Not just because they want to spend time with me, but they, they know what it means to be healthy emotionally. They know what it means to be a life speaker. They know what it means to be somebody who says in the midst of the reality of life, God is good and he knows me and he loves me and I will choose his promises. I will choose to take him at his word and believe him. So are you doing the necessary nurturing work in your own life to ensure that you will be a champion of the next generation? So I really felt in praying about this moment that we wanted to have just a, a moment of response. It's not always necessary, but sometimes I think it's helpful. So there were cards just laid across the pews when you came in, and I would encourage all of our moms to just locate a card there. I put a lot of them down, so they should be easy to find. Grab a pen. We're going to return to uh, just a song. I know we're off the clock a couple of minutes. We're going to finish with just a time of worship for a few minutes, and then Kim Therese is going to come and close us out in prayer. But I would like to invite our moms to, to write something on there that God impressed on you today, a step that you can take that is going to nurture either your heart or your voice or both. I'm not talking about a theoretical truth. I'm not talking about an idea. I'm asking you to write down an actual thing that you can do. Something, an action step. I need to start doing this. I think God was speaking while, while Kim Therese was sharing. I think God has been speaking while we've been during this time together. There's something I need to start doing. I need to stop saying this in this environment. I need to start saying this in this situation, right? I need to edit my words. I need to start being speaking life in more practical ways. I need to make that appointment with that counselor, right? I need to choose to forgive that person 
I need to stop feeling that way about my mother-in-law. What's one actionable step I can take? And write that step down. You don't have to write your name on that card. And then as we worship, I'm just going to invite you as just another way of inviting accountability and engaging with what God is saying this morning. There's two baskets here. I'm just going to invite you to write it on your slip of paper and just be courageous and bring it down here. And when we wrap up in a few minutes, when Chris brings us to a close, Kim Treese is going to come and we're going to just pray over these steps that God is going to supernaturally equip each one of us in the busyness of life, in the hectic pace of our life, that God is going to equip us to take these steps, that we're going to nurture our heart, nurture our voice, and be the person that comes out of the other side of this beautiful journey of mothering, which really is unending that we are going to be positioned to champion not just our children, but our children's children, their friends, the world that follows behind us. Amen? Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I just pray right now for each mom here, God, that you would give each one of us a practical and tangible step that we can take to further care for and encourage the growth and development of our own heart and our own voice and hence our impact into the next generation. That we wouldn't put off to tomorrow what we can do today. Give us the courage, give us the determination, give us the stamina, give us the willingness, give us what we need to write down this step, to leave here, to take this actionable, tangible step into our week and to execute that, and that we would begin to see the fruit of what it looks like to be a nurturer and a champion of the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen.